what should we start at? Five, five, five four, one. Hello, Hello and welcome to the ninth ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I nearly got you there with the countdown. You almost you tripped me up. on edge. You are listening to uh, the world's finest board gaming podcast. Uh, well. Probably not true. No, it might be. Uh, I've listened to some other ones and they weren't very good. Well, there you go. But uh, some, some were good. Today we're going to be looking at... Uh, Everything. New release Renaissance Man. We're going to be looking at Zoneplex, the Game of Thrones game. Tok Tok Woodman. Hey. Uh, we're going to be covering how it was playing large-scale games at the Eurogamer Expo. We're going to be taking your questions, questions. and... We were going to dedicate this podcast to a very special game we've been playing more of than any other game this month. But that's a secret. That's coming up. But first, should we start with uh, Renaissance Man? Uh, Renaissance Man is a new release from Rio Grande. Renaissance Renaissance is, I don't know, they're both uh, acceptable. Renaissance. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Renaissance Man is a game you probably shouldn't buy. (laughs) Uh, you know what? I actually like it more than Paul. What you're doing in this game is trying to create a pyramid of cards. Uh, Now, see, the term Renaissance Man uh, had a lot of romantic connotations for me, and so I was disappointed when I found out the careers, the titular careers of Renaissance Man are soldier, scholar, uh, merchant, and baker. Baker. Uh, and it's just sort of Renaissance man. I imagine someone who's an artist and who can create fabulous buildings and go to war and run a business all at once. But it's not a very fabulous game, is it? It's a game. It's properly dismal, almost. Right now, the thing is, like mechanically, some of the mechanical ideas I liked. I like the idea you have this pyramid of sort of professions, and they they build on top of each other. The the four professions right. are named. And the, you start off with this bottom tier of five cards yeah. and you have to be the first person to build a pyramid that goes five cards, four cards, three cards, two cards. And then finally, whoever poses that one card on the top, they've won. They've won, which is great. And at the same time, you, uh, you've got a couple of cards in your hand and you're either swapping them out or you're using them to get kind of wild card features because card placement gets harder and harder as you get mm. to the top. And so you're doing a kind of a jigsaw puzzle and a card management thing that could be interesting. It really interesting. is a puzzle, isn't it? So on your turn, you you have a sort of one round for each level of your pyramid. Yes. So we, Paul and I would first start off by looking at the bottom level of our pyramid and see if there's anyone not supporting any cards on the level above. And I go, I've got yes. a baker free. I can play a card from my hand that's a soldier to get a soldier action. And then on the second tier, I don't have anyone free, but I could use that soldier token to do a soldier action, which is bid on another card. It's quite complicated and quite brain-burning-y. Yeah, it, for the first couple of rounds, I didn't understand what was happening. And then I really, I suddenly, uh, the, the hook kind of caught me in the mouth. Yeah. And tugged me towards comprehension. And then I understood what was going on. And, and mechanically, like I said, the mechanics are all kind of okay. What did you like? The mecha- I don't, nothing. <laughs> but the th- all right, this is the thing. You know, uh, sometimes when you buy computer hardware, or you sometimes get it in new guitars, you get those packs of like silica gel to keep everything dry. Yeah. If I expected some of them to be in the box because it's so dry. Hang on, if it's dry, it doesn't need silica gel. To keep it dry. Yeah. To make sure that... To it, make sure it wouldn't get any to make moisture sure at all. Not fun. Yeah, it's a weird one. I almost had fun quite early on because you're... you're at the point when I realised that um, I would have to use certain cards to claim other cards so I could build and... And I was telescoping so very much that I would need to use my scholar to complete a Renaissance man, which would let me complete the first tier, which would lock all actions out in the first tier, but leave a soldier from my hand on the Renaissance. And at yes. which point, and you know, when you pull off those satisfying chains where you need to do X to do Y to do Z to do A to do B, 
and then you manage to actually perform that, and you do be a that. Then it's then that's like playing mental Jenga, really. But it mm. was just very difficult for not how much fun it was, you know. Well, yeah, it it wasn't. I wasn't very excited by any of the stuff I was doing. I just it's not a very exciting things to do. And then there was the other thing where we uh, did we at any point when we played two player together do anything that interrupted each other. I think at one point maybe. Uh, the way soldiers work, you have like that pool of cards on that, and you can you thing. all bid to recruit cards, yeah. which might be more soldiers. And that's where I possibly we both tried to do the same thing, and that was the only you point we at interacted. At one point in a forty-five minute game, you snatched a baker that I wanted, and that was it. That really was it. Which is fine. Some people enjoy games that don't, you know, see your head butting each other like llamas, but not this one. That's well, we and we've reviewed games like that, but they they. Just about everything has some amount of interaction that we've liked, even if it's quite solitary. And this just doesn't at yeah, all, no. ever. Uh, Renaissance Man, yeah, yeah, just generally quite disappointing. So, and, and we say that as real-life Renaissance Man. Paul is, of course, a filmmaker, writer, model, and baker. Yes. And I'm... Uh, what am I, Paul? Uh, a stunt man. Yes. A stunt driver. Yes. Um, a stunt parachutist. Of course. And well, now um, I don't know a if regular that's... parachutist. Yeah, that's not really a renaissance. I mean, that's basically one job. But you know, the sky is different to driving a van. I've always said this. Uh, should we move on quickly? Um, what? Oh, quick, get the list. Uh, Zoneplex. Oh no. Zoneplex. Oh, you know what? Let's do this in a bit because if we describe another game that's nuanced but that people shouldn't buy, I'm going to lose my mind. We've already let's given let's it talk away. about Game of Thrones then, and we can return to Zoneplex after a while. Well, the, all right, this is a thing. Um, Paul and I are large fans of the Game of Thrones uh, war game, uh, which is an interesting war game it's based on Game of Thrones. Really, still really popular, as is, I guess, Game of Thrones and everything around that. Uh, we looked at it on the blog about. A year and a half ago, mm -hmm. it was one of our written reviews uh, that I'm quite pleased with, and we had a lot of fun playing it. We yeah. like it. However, and I played it again recently. We um, there was a thing we were talking about before we started the podcast. Yes, so about the someone saying to me originally, "You can't win the game without negotiation because of how the mechanics work. You'll, at some point, you'll have to hope someone does something or convince someone to do." Well, something. it's really the problem that you will never have all the soldiers you need to fight a war on two fronts. So yeah. an alliance of two players is always going to crush a player who's alone, which means that in order to get all the sides of the board you need, you're going to have to rely on other players not attacking you. So, uh, yeah. The question that we raised then is that in this war game of talking, uh, I had it brought to my attention recently by none other than Richard Garfield, mm. who designed Netrunner and Robo Rally we, uh, and Magic the Gathering course. Very intelligent man, mathematician turned game designer in a kind of um, uh, cop turned criminal. It means he's twice as dangerous because he used to be boring and now he's not. Um, <laughs> so Richard Garfield actually says he doesn't really like diplomacy um, or any games that feature diplomacy mm. for a reason that, that, was, that just blew my mind wide open. And he said, well, are you playing the same game in all of these games? If you're trying to negotiate with your neighbour in Game of Thrones and saying, don't attack me, isn't that the same as in... Any game with diplomacy in risk. In risk. It's, it's the games, the body language, the words you have to say, the things you have to offer. That game does not change from game to game. And so if you've mastered it, or as happens to me, your local metagame means, oh, Quinn's is an untrustworthy bastard because I am very competitive, which means I'm entering something like Game of Thrones where nobody's going to trust me in the first place. Yeah. So that game has been skewered for me. 
So, it, it generally, it made me feel like all these games were a lot less clever than they are. Do you, how does that make you feel about playing something like Game of Thrones again in uh, the future? It kind of puts me off it, because I know I'm going to make an alliance somewhere in turn two. I know that alliance is going to fall apart in turn four. I'm going to probably make a last-minute alliance in turn five, and the game will end in turn six. Because that's the way these games always go for me. What I like and what's interesting, I mean, if we're talking about diplomacy and alliances, give put some meat on those bones, mm. right? That's why I'm really interested in Rex, which used to be the Dune board game. Rex allows players uh, to have negotiation phases in which they can form real alliances. And form them together. Yeah, and you yeah. can actually win the game together. You can form alliances of two players or even three players with the twist that um, your objectives become more. When there, are, when there are three of you in an alliance, yeah. you have to conquer even more of the board. So if one of the players in the alliance starts doing less well and another negotiation phase comes up, then you can ditch the yeah. dead weight in your alliance, which is really interesting. It's interesting, and it feels more realistically political as well. Like, uh, there, are sta- there are reasons for you to get together and reasons for you to kick out people if they are the squeaky wheel. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of game designers, I guess, would have trouble with designing their games such that players have a reason to not backstab each other. I think it's almost like balancing, if you were making a knife and balancing a knife or something, trying to make a board game where players can backstab each other and that's valuable, or they can keep working together and that's valuable. That strikes me as a very difficult thing to design. All the same, I think Richard Garfield has a point. I think I am getting less interested in these negotiation games. City of Horror is an interesting one. Yes. Which, again, we reviewed a little while ago now uh, on the blog in, in, with words. Yeah, and you'll be able to find all these reviews with the Google Shut Up and Sit Down City of Horror review or Game of Thrones review. City of Horror I like because you move from building to building, as, and the way this game works is you're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse just by talking, you know. Zombies appear outside a building and you all have to have little political rounds where you discuss who to throw out. City of Horror I like because when you move to the armory and it's like, let's say, Paul massively outnumbers me and he has the big voting block and I need to work with other people to get enough votes. Then we move to the Watchtower and suddenly it's Paul has one character and Brendan has one character. So you're playing, so all the circumstances change enough that the, the, the rules of the discussion you're having vary massively. Unlike Game of Thrones where everyone's out for the same victory, everyone has some armies, everyone wants an alliance, everyone mm. wants to backstab each other. So the, it can get almost quite formulaic. Do you think there's, uh, I think that's a good point, do you think there's any room for hidden roles in something like a war game as well, where you, it's not just that you're forming alliances and you're expecting betrayal, but that you, you ultimately don't know what everyone's purpose is? Yeah, I think, um, what well, do you want to talk about Archipelago and how Archipelago handles alliances? Well, that's an interesting thing, because you have possibly the player who is trying to... Do you want to explain what the game is? Yes, that might help. Um... Archipelago might be Archipelago. our game of the year, by the way. Is that how you say it? Archipelago. Because I really don't know. We don't know. In that game... Might be our um, game of the year. Well, yes, there are different objectives that every player has. As You're, you're building this lovely hex map of lovely islands, and uh, you're trying to gather resources and become rich. Unless you're one of the players who is actually not trying to do that at all. You're <laughs> trying to just ruin it for everyone. And formulate rebellion. Formulate rebellion, which... Because it, it's a game where I think the responsibility for preventing rebellion is collectively shared among all the mm. players. So it could the game could collapse for everyone, which means everyone loses. Unless one of the players <laughs> has that. It's that Shadows of Camelot. Thing yeah, the sympathizer where you don't it know. It could be a bad guy. But you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just fascinating because obviously it, 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 it again changes the entire game and the nature of the discussions. It's like um, 
you know, if you if if you and I are saying, well, let's be friends, the fact that out there there's a role that means I might have no interest in us being friends. Mm. Uh, you know, this stuff changes it up. So yeah, I guess in future, Game of Thrones is great, but at this point, I've played enough backstabbing type games which can only have one winner, and I know how they're going to go. So if there's a Game of Thrones third edition, which to be honest, it's Fantasy Flight, I'm kind of expecting. might be. HBO series is going to be running for years and years. Yes, so forever. In the next version of Game of Thrones, I'd really like to see you know maybe two players each sat on one arm of the Iron Throne at the end that strikes me as even more uncomfortable than the Iron Throne that would be I think before we go back to Zoneplex because we can add some tension in here yes. we should just move on to the next thing on the list I will point out that I think Zoneplex might if I want to give an award to Zoneplex <laughs> so keep listening and you'll fight because Zoneplex oh it's an exciting game oh my goodness uh, Tok Tok Woodman is a game now about we've had a lot of in-depth discussion and mechanics let's talk about a game where you hit a tree with an axe and now, I'm not even talking about a you know abstract I mean a real tree but the thing is usually if we get something that's quite simple we go oh that's quite simple and we don't play it much for long do we no but Tok 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 Woodban is a Korean game we got sent uh, very popular game in Korea um, and and I want it to never leave my gaming collection I'm in love with this thing uh, what you get is essentially a kind of Jenga alike it's about as tall it's a tree that you assemble and it's about as plastic tall, tree pl- sorry yes <laughs> uh, you assemble it's about as tall as a Jenga tower and it's a bunch of bark pieces, uh, like if you imagine a sort of roll that's been chopped vertically and then put on, stood on end. So it's a bunch of bark pieces stood one on the other, on top of the other. Almost like a chopped log. Yes, in fact. Uh, and then each of those pieces has bark on it. Uh, and Paul's just having real I trouble containing himself. I can't believe we're talking about this game. I love it. I love it. I want to have talk, talk so babies. And you've, we've got like this tiny plastic axe, and we're you're tapping at the the logs, and you're trying to make the the bits of bark come off without the logs coming off. Yes. And it falls over. And yeah. See, what I like is it's that it's just it, good fun. It's just amazing. So Jenga has one problem, which is that you know Jenga's interesting and all, but. Uh, when somebody screws up, the game ends. It's like, oh, haha, it's funny that you lost, but also we mm. can't play anymore, and now we have to reassemble it. Tok Tok is beautiful, because you get one point for every piece of bark, and minus five for every circle of wood you've knocked off. So it's this beautiful thing of if Paul knocks off bark, and then, oh, a log fall, oh, it calls another log to fall, the game doesn't end. We're left with, like, half a tree, but we can still keep going. And, uh, you know, Paul will tell you his points and realise, you know, he's on minus three. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's easy and just I don't even know how to sell it because you just need to appreciate the fun of sitting there tapping a it's so tapping a log and passing the axe and then someone it's hit. so petty and childish <laughs> it's so petty and childish and just enjoyable and you can see why people are buying it and sitting around and playing it and having fun and tapping a piece of wood yeah. it's like yeah because it's just if someone taps that. Jenga, if someone removes a block, it's boring. And if someone takes the lock, you know, it's, you know. With this, if someone hits the tree and no bark falls off, you can make fun of them for that. If they hit the tree and eight pieces of bark fall off, you call them a jammy bastard. If mm-hmm. you hit it and half the tree falls down, you laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And then you keep going. It's just better design. It's like Jenga 2. Now, now that we're feeling a bit happier... I am happy. Zoneplex is... I'm actually going to try and find it. We should do a let's play of Tok Tok Goodman. Oh, uh, here. Uh, Hang on. No, I was going to say, you can stand and talk and I'll... uh, Ooh, hello. 
Zoneplex. Oh my god. So, what <laughs> what the cover look like? Paul, why don't you read to the people at home what's on the Zoneplex cover? Zoneplex, control the Zoneplex, control the universe. Uh, what's happening is there's a giant, oh, a game by Shelby Sinker. Sink- Wait, no, that's not it. I was looking for... That's what it says. Um, uh, Oh. Where is it? Is that a lizard? Yeah, I'm looking for the... Here we go. A board game adventure deep inside an alien pyramid. Well, it's it's suddenly got a pyramid on the cover out of which other pyramids of light are coming and a man who's holding a pyramid and looks a bit like he's going to punch nothing. He's a monk. So, yeah, Zoneplex... Zoneplex is important, I think, because, um... Uh, because board games broadly, if I imagine people sat down with a board game design and they say, well, do you want to make, uh, what, what about the theme? Do we want to make it sci-fi? Do we want to make it fantasy and dragons? Or do we want to make it about real world industry in the Mediterranean? Zoneplex is important because it's one of the few board games I've seen that's properly creative, okay? It's retro. They've, the artist, and it is designed by an artist, has done it in this 1980s or early 90s arcade style. So there's like some pixel writing and it's this ridiculous 90s theme. It's a alien pyramid in which sort of cyber monks are entering to face their fears. And one person will reach the top of the pyramid and, and conquer the zoneplex. Um, and it's actually kind of, uh, what's the word, sort of modern is the way I'd describe it. Yeah. It has a sense of irony, and uh, that is something I appreciate massively. And what you're doing is you're moving your little wooden monk in, and, um, and you'll draw cards off the deck that'll either have you assembling the pyramid further, placing teleporters or relic rooms, or maybe you'll find a monster. And if you find a monster, you have to roll a dice to beat it, but you can invite other players to fight it with you as well. And they can ask for treasure that the monster will drop, for example, which is kind of like Munchkin. It's, in fact, mm. the best part of Munchkin that someone's hacked off with an alien laser blade and attached to their, their game. Um, it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> I will just sort of add that there. The game doesn't quite hinge together and it goes on slightly long. Um, but mostly I just... I, I like it because now when people say, you know, oh, Quinns, you complain about dragons and you complain mm. about... What would you like board games to be like? I'd like them to be like Zoneplex. I'd like them to draw from sort of human culture and spin their game in, a, in an interesting new way. You being, know? being incredibly colourful and um, have a very... This has definitely a very strong theme running through it. It knows yep. what it wants to be. Yes, it has a vision, you know. I like Space Alert as well because it has a sort of Soviet Star Trek vision. I like Zoneplex because it's sci-fi from the 80s, you know, knowingly and ironically. Yes, yes. That's interesting. What other sort of themes do we have that have a spin on there? Well, this is it. We do... Uh, there's the ongoing joke among many people that a lot of board games are about, um, you know, merchants in the 1600s trading wood and <laughs> silk and things. Um, Tokaido is an interesting one that comes to mind because it's visually lovely. Yes, it's a journey across Japan that they've turned into like a postcard. And right? you, as you build like your views of place, you walk across this board and you collect experiences that are like food or you look at views or you uh, collect interesting items. And you actually collect these cards in front of you and a view gradually looks like a very nice view. Yeah. And it does feel like you've had a nice journey across Japan and you've seen lovely things and you had some food and you went to a temple. <laughs> and it, it was your trip and well, you had fun and that was your gap year and now you've got no money. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's got... it. it it feels like it has a style to it. Yeah, and or like Tales of Arabian Nights, you know, basing a oh, game yeah. on an existing kind of book, an existing kind of uh, theme, a palette of imagery, if yeah. you will. 
so yeah, no, Zoneplex I, I was tremendously impressed by. Uh, no, it's not a game I'd recommend people buy necessarily, but uh, certainly it's a gorgeous vision for a board game. I'd like Fair to see a lot more of that. So, and then the, the, the expo of Eurogamer happened. It did happen. We were at Eurogamer Expo 2013. We had a stand. People mm. came along, lots yeah. of fans. They played games with us. And that was, first of all, we had a really good time and it was great. And thank you, everyone, for yes, coming. Yes, thank you all very much. Secondly, it gave us a chance to try really big games of Masquerade, which we haven't really had Yeah, a so a great thing that happened is we showed up and, you know, uh, brought, and brought on a, a few different games that have large numbers of players, which was awesome because we were able to road test games we'd recommended. Mm. Like, really road test. We played, you know, 20 games of Masquerade almost in a row. Yes. <laughs> we played... You know, 15 or 20 games of the Resistance Avalon, of course, mm. we played Ladies and Gentlemen, Pictomania, Skull and Roses, and they were all hits, just one after another. Everyone loved every game. It um, was really, really good, although it's interesting seeing how some of them work with bigger player numbers, and I think by the end of it, we felt maybe 10 isn't the best number for Avalon. Yeah, so the Resistance Avalon, is interesting. If you haven't seen our, our Let's Play, um, it's a game where uh, there are bad guys who know who each other are, and there are good guys who don't know who anyone is, and it's just a game of talking where you pick people to send on missions, kind mm -hmm. of like Werewolf if you played that, but without the murder and lynching. Uh, so, But we found out, didn't we, that with ten people you can't really follow all the discussions happening around the table. It's Yeah, there's two things, and I think one of them is it, it is a bit too busy with ten people. Probably didn't help that we had maybe a slightly long table, but with ten people keeping track of what everyone has to say or what's happening is, of course, it's more difficult. It's meant to be a bit difficult, but it seemed a bit too much. And then there's the second thing of, obviously, um, as play goes around the table, you'll only have so many people being the king, selecting squads. Um, you'll only have a couple of people using Lady of the Lake. I think... We ended up in situations where a few players felt a bit left out or not as involved. They yeah. Had, we, I don't know, everyone had fun, but you don't get to try everything. It's a shame, isn't it? And I feel like I'd almost house rule it in future, whereby if you're playing with ten people, you don't have a table or something, so people can talk and mingle and... But then I don't know. Oh. Uh, well, I don't know, that could be interesting. I'm getting desperate, basically. I think, yeah, but no... I think eight might be a sweet spot for the resistance, maybe yeah. seven. What's that rule that if... It's like there are all these social sciences whereby if you have... A group, an ideal group of people? For, it's like the humans in any group of five or more, I think. The rule is, at a party, if you divide uh, the number of people in the room by five, that's the amount of conversations going on. Ah. That, that, you know, they've worked this out um, because scientists are very clever and also don't seem to have anything better. I was going to say it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm sure they do. No, I think seven or eight is supposed to be one of the... At a party, I, can't, I think it's about five, but in, a, in like a working group, seven or eight as well. Even for like army squads, or like seven yeah, people what is and it? a leader or something that divide into two groups of four. Yes. I don't know why I know this. No, this is important. But it's like that's how many people you can mentally manage or handle or think about. Yes. Um, or can handle each other. And yet, uh, of course... Eight men handling each other. Masquerade was wonderful, because Masquerade is fundamentally a game about confusion anyway. Yes. And so... Uh, it scaled a, up a bit better, I think. It scaled up wonderfully, and I think with ten people... Because with Masquerade, you always have the option of getting in on a go, you know? Like, if someone says, I'm the king, you can always, wherever you are, go... Let's go I'm on. the king, yeah. Yeah, and see, yeah. and see whether you are, and you're not. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Um... Uh, and what else do you like? Ladies and gentlemen, you finally got to play it. What I haven't. Yeah, the sad. Why don't you uh, explain what ladies and gentlemen is to the people at home? I will. I will. I'm going to do that now. 
So get ready. Here we yeah. go. Uh, no, yeah, the sad thing is I haven't for a while, and I was really, really pleased. It's a, it's kind of two games, isn't it, welded together, where you have two halves of the table, one half of the table are ladies, and the other half are gentlemen, and both of them are playing separate games, and the ladies are playing a game of shopping, where they try <laughs> to go to some shops and get some dresses and other items of clothing that... Um, the, the more expensive they are, then the better they'll look. And what you want to do at the end of the game is look best. Be the best-looking lady. But, because... of course, anything you buy has to go to your husband first. Well, this is the thing, because on the man's side of the table, they're playing a different game about stocks and stock markets that the ladies are not allowed to understand or know about. And the men are trying to get lots of money, because what the ladies will do is they'll go shopping and they'll make their selection of what they want, but they can't buy it. Their husbands have to buy it with the money they have. And the husbands never have the money or the knowledge of what's going on in the other. In the but neither side talk to each other, um, except for when it comes to purchasing. And you're not supposed to share complete information about what you're doing. Like, the lady isn't supposed to know how much money their husband yeah, makes. So the husband say, can just say, I did well. And I would say, darling, will you please buy me these dresses? And, and, and the shoes are less important, perhaps, because the ladies are playing yes. some absurd game of combos. Describing it like this, it does sound like an enormously sexist game. And, of course, well, you, know, it, you, you might be offended by it, or you might not. But, but it is. I mean, the point is, it's, I suppose it's satirising that kind of old-fashioned relationship where... Fundamentally, the couples don't talk to each other or communicate. And they're, <laughs> well, they have entirely separate worlds it, that they it's live in. It's, it's, it's sort of satirical in a few different ways. The stock market that the men are sort of at <laughs> is a total farce. It's like yes. a physical game where they all have to look under tokens as fast as possible. It doesn't require that much skill. No, whereas the, the outfit choosing of the women is incredibly difficult. Yes. I think, you know, slaves are... Oh, sorry, servants <laughs> can be purchased by the women. Servants are basically saved because they cost less they than cost anything less than else. anything else in the game and give your husband a break. Um, and no, no, no one comes off well in that game. It's all no. just hilarious and poking fun at uh, sort of gender norms. Um, gender, old fashioned. Saying, Thank God it's not like this anymore. Yeah, hopefully. But old, yeah, old fashioned. It's Edwardian era kind of posh snobbery, and but it's. But you enjoyed yourself then. I enjoyed myself very much because of the idea that you're you're divided into these two camps. You can't communicate possibly with your co-player, and also the really neat mechanic where you can have an odd number of players. Mm. And that introduces a courtesan on the lady side who's trying to get all the gentlemen to buy her clothes because uh, if she ends up not looking very good at the end of the game, she can scandalise the game. Uh, she can scandalise one of the other... The person who bought her the least, I yes, believe. one of the other characters, and that ruins their game. So it's in, it's in everyone's interest to keep her happy, <laughs> but it's not in any of the ladies' interest for her to be kept too happy because the ladies want to look as... And it's amazing, so <laughs> sitting there as a lady and having... Trying to talk to your husband and say, look, I, uh, can you get... Look, I, this goes with this other outfit, so I need this because it looks <laughs> And then someone else just says, uh, excuse me, can you buy me this? Yes, I remember you making a lot of uh, comedy hay with your in-game husband saying, are you on the phone again? Why? Who are you talking to on the phone? It was incredible, but it's, it's disruptive in a really cool, really funny way when someone is really trying to take money away from your husband. It's funny for everybody because, if, especially as the husband, if your wife's just handed you an £800 dress and the courtesan's handed you a £600 necklace and you look at your money and you only have £300 <laughs> because your money's all tied up in corn that turn. And yeah. It, no, it's all just hilarious and we absolutely recommend it. Rare for a game to be so funny. It's also very rare for, um, even rarer, to have a team game. There are so yeah. few team games in board gaming, and I find that so frustrating. I mean, 
Yes, it's cool. Yes, there are lots of co-op games, but give me games where teams work against one another. And this was the cool thing. It works well as a team game because the two people on the team have completely different things to do. Yes. That's what keeps you interested, I think. On the subject, I'm very ex- we ha- We need to probably get a Let's Play of Space Cadets out there um, mm. because this is just such a... A fabulous team game whereby everyone has different things to do. You're all running a starship together and you have the engineer who hates the weapons officer, the weapons officer hates the shields guy, the shields guy. And it's this beautiful circle of animosity. And my favourite thing in that is, um, of course, and I can imagine if they did a ladies and gentlemen expansion, I would want to see this as well. <laughs> uh, there's a card in Space Cadets where you all have to run around the table and swap terminal. Yeah. So if you were doing weapons and learning that, you're now doing sensors. and you're Under a time limit, the sensors guy has to tell you how to run sensors. Uh, which is beautiful. Um, so yeah, more of this kind of thing. Galaxy Truck, of course, has a team game. Still haven't played it. Ah, we should. We can do that sometime. <sighs> we can do that. Uh, we also played Dobble. We did play Dobble. We did a Dobble. Which, and this is another thing. I kind of like Tok Tok. I feel silly explaining how simple it is because in a way it's kind of snap. <laughs> just, but it works very neatly and very quickly and we really enjoyed it so Dobble is a tin and in the tin you have about 40 or 50 cards and on the cards are pictures so you might be holding a card which has a fire hydrant and a dog and a snowflake and a leaf and a key and a crown It'll, each card will have about 20 of these pictures but if you hold any of the circular cards in the game next to another one, see what's on this, Paul? Uh, Hearts. Heart. And I've got lips there. And you've got lips. So uh, on on any two cards in the game, there will be one thing they share. Like the two I'm looking at both have lips on. Um, but actually making your brain process about ten different drawings on two different cards is almost... That's not impossible, but your brain kind of shuts down and becomes incapable of picking out this stuff in like a Where's Wally style. And it becomes harder because all of you, uh, if you have like a group of four players, you all flip and show your cards at the same time. Yeah, there are actually so about six different yeah. games you can play with double cards in the tin. And it's just hilarious. Uh, the, the, the best in the game is Hot Potato. Everybody flips their card at the same time. As soon as you see something in your card that's in someone else's card, you put your card on top of theirs. So whatever they were memorising on their card is now irrelevant because you, you just gave them yours. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, the last player holding all the cards, uh, and I'll have a number of cards, you've got a number of players, uh, loses, and then puts those cards in front of them. And you go through the deck until you lose your mind or stop having fun. But it is a lot of fun. And we it? didn't stop having fun. We did lose our minds, though. Uh, yeah, especially if you demo, you know, ladies and gentlemen, for six hours, then you teach a game of Netrunner, then you try and sit down and play double. Your brain will pretty much give up in about five minutes. Yeah. What I really liked is um, Matt had a hangover on one of the days, tried to play Dobble, and was just unable to play it. Did he? Like, yeah, he, he just couldn't. He didn't. He couldn't process it. He came. I didn't notice that. He came across very well. Well, anyway, he gave his good side to all of our fans. Uh, we should look at some questions, I oh, think. Oh, jeez. How do you feel about that? Okay, I'm ready. All right, I'm ready. You're going to introduce our question segment. Would you like question... Yes, here's the question segment. It's got questions. That now, was half-assed, Paul. That was half-assed. The first question in the question segment about the questions is... I can't read what I've written down here. I actually can't read... Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, you got to keep the energy up, baby. My energy is fine. You know, it's just... I'm not the man I used to be after what happened. With the meeple. With us. Uh, I'm going to start with something really positive <laughs> from, I think it's John Billings, and I'm really sorry, I think I've said that right. 
Uh, John would like to, this is not at all positive, he'd like to know which game has disappointed us the most. Oh, great. What yeah, did we was... look forward to when we went, ah, oh, and then it came out and we went, ah. Uh. When I got policed precinct home, I oh, was no. totally pumped about the idea of being a police officer in a co-op game where you run around a city solving crimes and there are riots and there are gangs. What's not to like? Oh, the game, it's shit. Oh, no. Yeah, you Well, didn't... yeah, we none of us had that good a time with it, did we? Sorry, Did uh, if you, I've found out from editing stuff, if you're here with the mic, this is way louder than this, so if you listen on headphones, then it's, it is like, if your Paul is in this can, I like being shouting at you. Um, oh no, police precinct. Yeah, no one really had a very good time. With it, did they? No. There were how many of us playing? About half a dozen of yeah, us. Yeah, there were there were five of us, I think, maybe. And yeah, no, it was just all of us were universally uh, horrified by the game we were playing, which was awful. I was really pumped. I would like a game about being in the police, being a police, and doing some police, and I'd be happy with that. But this isn't the game for that. No. What have you been disappointed by? Well, to some degree, uh, Spartacus, which is not bad. Yes. And we, I mean, we did a re- video review, and we said it's quite good, but it doesn't... The, the, the idea is great, and a lot of the individual bits of it are cool, but they don't quite seem to come together. And I thought no. it was going to be really good with those ideas. I thought the miniatures dice rolling game was kind of disappointing a and a bit, a bit floppy, and the, uh, the backstabbing round was just nonsense. Uh, the marketing, the bidding, the auctions, that was cool. But yeah, just not. I, I, that game has so much hype, and I was so underwhelmed. Uh, yeah. Shall I pull out, pull out another question? Yes. Yeah, so I'll just put these, one in here. These questions we're doing first off Facebook. Oh, there we go. And Sorry. we'll be. Oh, do, where did that come from? Do you know what? Don't tell me. I'll just wipe it off. These are Facebook questions, and uh, we'll take them slowly. Then we'll move on to the Twitter quick fire round. Uh, this is all our filthy Twitter followers deserve. Carlin Knight would like to know which game has really got us screaming. What game's got us screaming? And the only. Uh, I screamed during the Euro, Eurogamer Expo so loud. <laughs> I. Uh, well, we were playing Game of the Resistance. And ah. it was one of those things where, due to the maths of something, you yes. work out that someone else, out of you and one other person, is a spy. Uh, and I was so angry and so surprised that I shouted. It was like, <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, one of these things like, Robert, you know, just tell everyone I'm good. Because you, you've seen my card, you know I'm good. And Robert goes, he's a spy. And I went, what? So that was good. Wow. I was about to say, yeah, that that is what I was first of all going to come out with because I've seen that happen to all of us mm. also Skull and Roses which we played a bit of at the expo <laughs> Skull and Roses. everyone ends up shouting in yeah, it. Everyone. yeah Skull and Roses I saw someone um, uh, in our Twitter feed talk about they want a game for bluffing and they've already got the resistance get Skull and Roses it is just pure refined bluffing it's like you know yeah refined cane sugar but for bluffing no I think that and maybe screaming in a good way is Galaxy Trucker when just something ridiculous happens yes. but it's not it's not so much frustration as ridiculousness no the one if I'm taking that question in the spirit it was intended the angriest I've ever been was playing Twilight Imperium with you and you're not that aggressive a player but you do bear a grudge maybe uh, and uh, yes no I, I attacked your Ghosts of Croyce the wormhole spirits well and I seem did. to remember the rest of the game can't even meet my eyes now I'm saying this story but also it was because in fairness there was a bit of weakness in your flank and I thought I could oh was there but you just needed the excuse well you needed your castle spellum I'll 
I'll be completely honest. If someone attacks you, you do have a pretty good excuse to <laughs> spend the rest of the game poking them. And it makes you look a lot less like a bit of a twat. Yes, no. Yeah. yeah. It does, though. I am a twat in those games. No, I meant me. Oh. It makes me, as the person attacking, look less of a... On, onward, uh, do you want to pull out a Twitter question first? And oh, yeah, sure. Well, I'll give Facebook a rest because it's getting very hot. It is, yeah. Okay, so we'll blitz through Twitter. Uh, loading up my phone. Don't do that. Let's do these in reverse order. Today on Twitter, we ask for hard questions. Uh, hard. Let's start with um, Martin, or at Zeta. He asks, have you played Mice and Mystics yet? No. No, no we haven't. Uh, William Lagamba at Kuno Naoni says what is the most simple elegant board game either of you have ever played I would say Skull and Roses Skull and Roses or Love Letter Love Letter is nice it's nice what are you saying it's not even it's okay it's not that good oh come on it is okay It's it's quite good and really simple and elegant and you teach it to people and it instantly Happens. Yes, it has. It's like here are sixteen cards. We're going to play a game that's going to happen. But I like Skull and Roses because the rules are even simpler and the game is even larger. Okay. Um, Keith Chester at the Keith Chester says, "Is that uh, is there ever going to be a game made by your little entourage?" Which sounds quite uh, by Brendan. Uh, by Brendan, we could make Brendan make it, couldn't we? He is. And would you then proceed to review it in a hilarious way? I can't imagine we'd review our own game, but if we did, it might be a bit biased. But I always give the same answer. <laughs> I was asked this by a few fans at Eurogamer Expo, and the fact is, reviewing board games makes me realise, by God, I don't have what it takes to make a board game. It is so so hard to make a good game, and. I think being a board game critic makes me less likely to make a game rather than more likely. It's really difficult, and the more that you play, and I think you get this with video games, I suppose, or with anything, you, you, I don't know, you can have ideas for things, but you think, how, how would I do that? How would, that, how, would I make, <laughs> how would I make that any good? Yeah. Without just copying what someone else has done, and it is difficult, and, but who knows? I mean, you know, we have... But most of our lives probably still ahead of us. And no, I know that. I think if I was going to make a game, I would try and cheat by including stuff I think is fun before I've written any rules. That, so it okay. would include negotiation. Which yeah. I, feel, I feel like if you can get players talking, then that's half of the work done for you. Because players are the most exciting component available yes. to any board game designer. And the other thing I would include is, is hourglasses, little sand timers, because any game involving them excites me. You like asymmetry as well. You could maybe try asymmetrical that. sand timer negotiation, a game by <laughs> Quentin Smith. I would immediately try that. <laughs> I bet you would. Um, Jamie Perconti uh, at uh, Infinite Nuts says, "What mechanical aspect or emotion do you really want a game to use, evoke, or do that you've never seen done well?" Indigestion. Uh, yeah, I've not seen that done well. Uh, the emotion where your friends ask if you want to come out and you don't really want to, but you know you'd have a good time when you get there. I'd like to see that. that Yeah, me too. I'd like to see that in a board game. I would say (laughs) that you know, if there, to be honest, if there was an emotion that I'd love to see captured in a board game, it's the feeling of being in a submarine that's on fire and drunk, and your friend is in the next room over trying to get you out. But that's in Red November already. So, so kind of yeah, there is that. But no, it's been done. Well, fair enough. What about you, Paul? No, you got indigestion, right? Well, I have right now. Yes, yeah. exactly. Flip Flory at Game Night says, if you're going to get a tattoo of one board game logo or symbol, what would it be? If you wimp out, we choose for you. Jesus, this I has know. got hardcore fast. A tattoo. A tattoo. Maybe I would get, what game do I like? Included, uh, mm. I was going to say included in Space Alert's expansion. Yes. There are some badges for each member of the crew, like little insignia. I could, oh, yeah. I could get like an engineer badge on my shirt. Oh, that'd, be, that'd be really good for a, for a shirt uh, stitching design thing. Though. Yeah, of course, it would be a tattoo, so it would be like on my actual body. 
Where would you put it? On my body. I would put it on my buttock. Moving on, uh, uh, we I have... I don't like... I don't want to have a tattoo. I'm happier with other people having them, so my answer is... <laughs> is uh, that, means, that means they have to choose for you and you're going to end up with Vlada Joartel's face on your buttock. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and Andrea Stahl will do this as the last one. Oh, a one. tattoo of it. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, no, that would be, yeah, sure, sorry. What a shame. At Starworks says, what games have a particularly good way of handling player, player elimination? And I would say uh, immediately, bang, expansion has a nice mechanic whereby every so often dead players can come back as ghosts and just shoot a player of their choice. Uh, yes, there is that. Uh, I wasn't immediately going to say bang. I was, oh, what's the... There's a game where you're eliminated and you get to still participate in negotiation or... Hmm. Werewolf? No. Werewolf has a thing where you can come back and say you killed you at some point, right? Oh, I think one of the characters can summon you or something. Yeah. But you don't have to tell the truth. (laughs) Uh, So we don't know. Um, we don't know, but if someone does know, tell us and then we'll know, or we may just remember because we could have forgotten. Speaking of remembering, I would like to add to my games that disappointed me list, uh, Fortune and Glory, uh, which I was really looking forward um, to with the big map of the world. I love Pulp, and then uh, the game just kind of fell over. It's very glossy and it's full of things, but it's not that exciting as a game. If, I, if, if Flying Frog are listening, what are the odds, and they would like to send me both of the upcoming Fortune and Glory expansions then I would be quite content to play that and see if it improves the game some, because I do really want... It plays into what I was talking about earlier, a game that plays into pulp novels. That's a wonderful yeah. design that escapes the traditional trajectory of uh, board game It's games. a lovely idea for a game, and it has lots of cool stuff in, but it doesn't entertain enough. No. What are your last two Facebook questions? Well, uh, they're, they're a bit less serious, I suppose. Jessica Brown would like to ask which games are the best to play in Zero Gravity, because mm. I assume that's where she's going soon. Arm wrestling. Arm wrestling, probably board games, but I, oh, right. we can immediately the re- say the resistance. Yeah, yeah we just we said that a lot. Quarius would be no, that, no, that's the that opposite. That would be the ab- city Absolute of horror could sort of work you could, if you glue it to the board. Well, no, we should have to escape from the aliens and out of space because it's a game you play with a pencil. Oh yes, and, which will uh, work in space. Yeah. Uh, oh, Escape from the Aliens from Space is a wonderful Italian game, if you haven't uh, picked it up. Um, you just simply draw your route, and you, other players draw their route, and sometimes they're right. aliens they're, and they Sometimes there's a noise from... <laughs> he- there's a noise from Hex G07. And the, all the alien players run there and eat each other. <laughs> Which is... That's, uh, that's actually a really good choice. That would be very suitable. Um, did you know? You know the apocrypha about how NASA spent X million developing a pen that worked in zero gravity and the Russians used a pencil? Which is apparently, yeah, not true. It's apparently not true. Uh, and also because pencils you can't use in zero gravity because the lead would break off and potentially interfere with machinery. Oh, really? That could be also be bollocks. <laughs> I don't know. What's the other Facebook question? The other Facebook question... Ah, oh, the Facebook people are very funny. Uh, the best or the tastiest board game component asks Simon Brand. See, the thing is, is that he's you, just hungry. You you picked this from a list of questions. Well, the, the the list has probably grown since then. Some of these, I admit, these were sort of near the top. There was since, a guy who asked about our reviewing process. Well, the, that's secret, though. We can't tell people about our process of review. Our laboratory, where we we. Give, I'm going to tell them, Paul. They've been in the dark long enough. We have a laboratory and we send games there and then the scientists in them tell us if those games are fun. Uh, obviously. I we... can't. That's, we're ruined. I'm sorry. We have to replace the scientists. Look, how many, how many percentage of our audience listen to this podcast? Like, nothing. So we they're can getting, just keep they're going. getting worn down and that particularly, that really bald one is... I think he's, he knows he's discovered... 
about Matt. Uh, so we have to. Um, I'll make the phone call now. Okay, right, fine. I'll do some more Twitter questions. Um, what else we got? Oh yeah, these are rapid fire, right? John Hopkins at John Hopkins says, "Is Netrunner worthwhile if you only buy the base set and don't get the expansions?" Uh, no. Also, if you play the base Surely set, it is. not really. I mean, if I was going to spend forty pounds on a game, it wouldn't be the Netrunner base set. Initiate Operation Octopus. Okay. Good. Sorry, I was just on hold. I just left. That's an answer phone message. Right. Um, Casa at Casa sixty one says, "If you could remove one board game from history, which one and why?" Maybe we should just go there and shoot them ourselves. Okay, let's do that. Right. Hang on. A board game from history, um, from all of history. Let's discuss this on the way. Yeah. I did a rant about this on the show before, but Munchkin. If Munchkin could go away, I'd be happy. It's never going to go away, and you know that. Yeah. You've got a bit of brains on you. Sorry, oh, ah, uh, ah, oh, it feels like, like, have you mache? Okay, um, that yeah. go good in a do you have a game you really hate? You, well, For the viewers at home, uh, Paul is Paul currently is looking around the room like he's doing a poo. I, 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 uh, I do, but it's, everyone hates it, obviously, because it's the kind of thing we never talk about, which is Cluedo, and uh. I particularly hate Cluedo. <laughs> and no, well, no, actually, no, you know what I hate. You know what I hate. Me? You know what I hate. What do you hate? Flux. <laughs> Why do people play Flux? We've never had you complaining about Flux on the show Why before. would you play a game that constantly changes and constantly changes its victory conditions in a way that you have no control of? Uh, until the, the, until <laughs> the cards that you have in the victory conditions by accident dovetail together, <laughs> at which point you're free. It's like trying to get out of prison by... <laughs> By trying every combination on on the lock <laughs> until it clicks and you get out and you go, what a waste of my life! <laughs> it's horrible. I think prisoners do usually say that when they leave prison. Yes. Uh, no, for the record, oh. I haven't even played Flux. It just, Don't. I just am so. You know, we have the Flux board game down there. Shut up. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to go back to the lab and shoot another sign. Your first stretch goal, everybody. If we reach twenty-seven thousand dollars, no! Paul will review the Flux board game. <laughs> Oh dear, okay, Tyler Johnson at, T oh his handle's really long, at TY Legacy Control says, you often make subtle jabs and not so subtle ones at board gaming sacred cows like Catan, Arkham Horror or Munchkin. What, and it continues on, other games do you find yourself groaning trying to figure out why they're so popular? Flux. Also, <laughs> uh, yeah, what, uh, yeah, I guess. Tyler Johnson also wants to know, any games you love that no one else seems to enjoy? Yeah. I like Space Alert and it baffles me that it's not in homes the world over. Yeah. And I uh, agree with that. I think I think just about anyone I know who's played Space Alert goes, wow. Um I don't think anyone has been unimpressed by it. Skull and Roses, frankly, I'd like to see in homes the world over. Uh games that really see you sort of having some amount of frottage uh with your friends. Um, okay. Uh you know, I would say that in an alternate universe where Twister isn't popular, I would say Twister should be in homes the world over so teenagers can rub up against each other. Uh, I think that would be important. But to well, a, thank God, Twister is popular. So It is popular. Um, we haven't played Fury of Dracula for a while and I'm missing that. And I, uh, We've always had fun with it. And Fury of Dracula is very good. I think it's just become back in print, maybe? Oh, really? I'm oh, not sure. I am secretly hoping that will happen because... I like it, I think it's very good, and it's a clever game of hidden movement, and 
it's not that complicated and the idea of a hidden movement game that is something that everyone can get behind and that families should be playing yes. they should be playing wonderful exciting games of, of hide and seek on a board yeah mostly though I think what's quite nice is that the board gaming scene is small enough and driven by enthusiasts enough that when a game is good it will sell uh, it's not always the case and I think that's why we end up having jabs at things like Munchkin and Arkham Horror mm. if we do find something uh, that is awful it sticks out like a sore thumb to us I mean not that those games are awful necessarily they're just perhaps average I think we can all be grateful that board games aren't necessarily like movies or books where the bestsellers are just drivel and that generally you know like no. ne- oh, out of all of Fantasy Flight's card games Netrunner seems to be the one that's selling the most right now which is, I'm quite glad to see. It's a smart game. It's interesting. It's different. It is different. Uh, shall we move on to our final segment where we dedicate the podcast to a game? Well, we need a special guest before we can do that. We do. Let's go take her out of the laboratory. Okay, Paul, take the hood off. Okay, it's, it's a bit stuck. There we go. Right. Oh, I forgot that she looked like that. Yeah. Uh, Lee, hello. Uh, we'll let you go if you can talk about Mage Wars for about ten minutes. Oh, okay. I right. think she wants feeding. Hang on. Don't give her the food, you'll spoil her. Uh, Mage Wars right. is, is, is a card game. Yes, good. Uh, it's a card battle game. It is. Uh, of, of, of what? Mages. Dueling good. mages. Dueling mages. Don't, don't put your hand down. Okay, good. Uh, you weren't expecting to enjoy Mage Wars, were you? I was not. I actually picked up the box and I uh, laughed at you for about five minutes. Yeah. Um, but uh, then I, I became compelled by all the different mages <laughs> that were on, on your, the box. Egg on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and so this is, uh, if you're not aware, a card battle game that comes with an arena and two players will be mages and they'll cast monsters into the arena. With the big selling point that you get an actual book of spells. And you can flip through your book of spells, which is a card sleeve book. Yeah, it's like an actual spell book, and one of them has an eye on the back of it. And it does. You use that one. Did you know you can buy new ones? Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, perhaps we could customise our spell books. See, we're automatically lapsing into <laughs> sarcasm, but you love it, I'm serious. I, I, I promise, I'm, I'm serious. I, I really love it. Um, all my life I have been intimidated by card battle dueling games. Um, I saw the Yu-Gi-Oh cartoon on television mm-hmm. where kids would bust out uh, <laughs> several tiers of trap cards and summon dragons, and I, I kind of wanted to do that, mm. but uh, I, I didn't understand all the things that were on the cards. Um, I used to... My sister... I mean, not me at all, but my sister... Uh, my, li- my little sister collected Pokemon cards, but we never actually played with them. Um, a lot of the card games that I had come across and collected as a child, I just liked the pictures. Mm. But this one not only has cool pictures, but the game makes a lot of sense to play if you what have any familiarity whatsoever with, say, JRPGs, where you're stacking one set of stats against another. Right, so this is what I want to talk about, because I really thought Mage Wars was deep-end nerdery, but you've been able to just, I mean, from playing some video games, pick up, pick it up quite easily. Well, yeah, it is pretty deep-end nerdery, um, but I did pick it up quite easily, so I, I don't know what that says about me. Hmm, difficult. I'm interested to ask, you said... Um... The number of mages was what made you turn around? Did you get the turnaround before you started playing, or did something actually happen when things uh, were in your hands? Well, you know, I looked at it and I said, you know what? I'm going to learn one of these. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I'm going to play with the cards. 
Okay. Um, instead of just look at the pictures on the cards of the Beastmaster, the <laughs> Wizard, the Priestess, and the Warlock. Wow. Who we have available to play as in Mage Wars. Uh, uh, and uh, I kind of did it at, like on a personal dare, but uh, I really began to enjoy it when we were playing. I decided to be a Beastmaster mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, made up a backstory for him. You've been enjoying summoning animals? I, I love to summon creatures. The Beastmaster has a lair that will spawn lots of creatures. Um, I'm currently harrying Quinn's wizard all the time with uh, falcons and a ferret. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> so, um, depending on who you picked, you would have had completely different spells? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, some of them overlap from one book to another, and you can customize the book, but the uh, manual recommends a sort of starting spell book for mm. everyone. So, with Yu-Gi-Oh!, what's interesting is that I watched that, that, the cartoon, and I go, oh, if only card games were like that with you. And then I sat down to play Yu-Gi-Oh! at a convention that Paul and I were at, <laughs> and it's rubbish! I like, lay my trap card and summon four more blue eyes white Honestly, dragons. I would play that game. That's awesome. Oh, no, I've run into his trap card. And there are four more dark snowmen. They're here. Shit! Is what they never say in Yu-Gi-Oh! But I would... would It got dubbed out. Yeah, okay. But then the actual game is quite dry. What I like about Mm. Major was is it is very much the game of... Like, a totally legitimate sentence you might say is, I reveal my enchantment and my bear has fox speed. And then the other player will go, No! And you'll run your bear. I have a poison lizard that I make into my pet thereby enhancing his stats <laughs> from my mana cost, yeah. and uh, it inflicts rot on your mana You know what this sounds like? This sounds to me like a conversation between Magic the Gathering players talking no, about no, the no, deck. No, 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 let me go. That's not a bad thing. No, 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 you're not, you're not done yet. <laughs> okay, so... It's not a bad thing, it's just, you know, it sounds like everyone's found their tricks that they want to use. That's sort of what I liked in that um, you really felt like there is a way of playing that is suitable to any player strategy. Um, you know, you can sort of broadly pick who you want to be based on one of the four classes that Defensive you start with. or aggressive. The difference, though, I would say is that with Magic the Gathering, you have your strategy and your, you know, uh, tricks, like mm-hmm. you say. The, the difference, though, is with Mage Wars, because you do have the entire book, you can have cards in there that are specific counters for anything. So it's not like... I mean, I remember playing Magic and being taken apart by some guys or Artifact deck, and you go, well, I've just got... Fucked, didn't I? But with with Mage Wars, someone, there's always something you can do. There is always something you can do. If you if someone plays a trick, you flip through your book to the counter trick, and then they'll flip through their book to the counter counter, and then you'll get bored and do something entirely different. Kind of wonderful. You're you're sort of opposing someone across this cardboard stone arena. Yes. And uh, laying your cards on you know in the grids and flipping through for a new strategy and. Uh, but you really are connecting with the person you're playing against. Yeah. Everything you place is something that changes their game utterly because they can affect it. You know, I can mm. imagine. Be even being quite disinterested with what my opponent does in magic. I place down another land. Yeah. In Mage Wars, if someone places a mana crystal, that's something you can go and punch until it explodes. And then affect your channelings that you draw less mana each turn. Yeah, yeah. So how much was the arena a uh, consideration? Because you do you move around, don't you? And oh, the arena is, is is a huge part. So it's a three by four grid. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, when when something's on the other side of the arena to you, it changes everything. And Certain be- abilities have ranges. Um, yeah, don't. you have a really tricky thing where it's a it's a chess like thing. If your wizard dies, that's game over. And yet, loads of your spells will will be, you'd say, curses that have a range of two. So you'll have to run your warlock up to the other wizard, almost like playing dodgeball. Whose wizard spent a lot of time running away from my fleet of vicious beasts? Yes. I can imagine that. That yeah. does actually. You do have this absurd thing where I was specifically running away from Lee's ferret 
because the ferret could taunt me. I mean, and then, but then you could I decided, be... I didn't realize that the ferret is actually the coolest thing about being a Beastmaster. <laughs> and I if decided to summon him. If you've seen the movie Beastmaster, this is, this is canonical as well. Is there a ferret in Beastmaster the movie? Yeah, or there's an otter. Oh, wow. Well, I looked at the picture of the Beastmaster on the card, and he was accompanied by a ferret. And the spell book on, uh, in the card in the spell book designated him as my ferret companion. So I summoned him immediately, and I summoned. I stumbled on the best possible character in the game. Yeah, it's like, just a dickhead. Yeah. It's the, no, you uh, just don't like it because you can't defeat him. I can't. You no. can't punch him, and then when he bites you, there's a very high chance he'll taunt you, which means your wizard, who could, say, hypothetically call down a rain of fire, would instead try and hit this thing with his stick. <laughs> yeah, like all he will, he'll be forced in repeating to try try to repeat and attack the ferret. Yeah, which is good. But no, there's like you say, the arena is important. <laughs> there's there is absurd things you can do with teleportation spells that womp someone all across the arena. Or, um, you mean those are what you use to run away yes, from the ferret? Yes, hypothetically, yeah. if you did want to run away. There's also, um, oh, what's the, yeah, if you have a slow creature that only moves one space a turn, so that's very slow, but mm. you have spells that can push. So it could actually be worth summoning a slow creature and then hitting it with attack spells that push it across the arena. Uh, like a that sounds oak. kind of mad. You could instead just focus on making it fast. You could. You could, you could make uh, a sort of bush that's very fast. <laughs> and there's no bush. Well, there's a bush, but it can't move. There are walls uh, that change things. Anyway, go It's on. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's got the thumbs up of both uh, comedy hardcore board gamer me and Lee, who doesn't play many board games. And actually, I thought I was just going to make fun of it the whole time. And I still do, but I'm also having a great time. Yeah, yes. yeah. which is, it's interesting that you've had that, not turnaround, but it's... Clearly warmed you up. Yeah, yeah, I like it because it makes me feel like a capable strategizer with an arsenal of spells at mm. my disposal. And yeah, it's so funny, you know. It's like it's 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 all. My, I think the people who made it were totally serious about their <laughs> cool mages, but by coincidence, the tone is so straight straight faced that you, it, now, it there is... are some funny quotes on the cards. Yeah, uh, some of them are serious, some of them are funny. Um, I have a regrowth belt that I equip as a Beastmaster, and uh, it, it allows me to draw six life each turn, and Quinn's dissolved my belt. Uh, which was kind of erotic. Uh, um, yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, for you, mostly annoying. But yeah, it's, it's just stuff happens that is funny. You summon a unicorn and it catches fire. There is no unicorn. <laughs> there is a unicorn. The priest can summon a oh, unicorn. Oh, that's right. The Beastmaster See, why can you, only summon real animals. This is why you have to customize your deck so it mm -hmm. has a unicorn in. Ah. And so I can cause the unicorn to rot and then run through a... Hedge maze, a rotten it? unicorn charging through the hedge maze at you. Uh, that, that's why you that's should buy Mage Wars, everybody. You should buy it. And on that bombshell... <laughs> uh, I think we're done here. Yeah. Lee's been out of the lab for a very long time now. Okay. Yeah, can, no. I, can I just go outside for a minute? Uh, no. Um, what about a glass of water? Uh, hang on, just if you'll just do this. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you later.